0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight.
1: Hello, from Nashville.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have two special guests this week. We have Matt Krieger and Peter Cho. Hey, Hey everyone. Now, we haven't had you on the show before, so do you both want to give us a brief introduction, who you are, what you do? Sure. Matt, you want to go first?
2: Awesome. Well, let me just start by saying how insanely excited I am right now to be uh, on the show with you. Like this is, I've been a long time listener. I've heard you uh, chat about almost every topic I I care about, and uh, I'm really, really excited that uh, I have the chance to join you on the show. So my name is Matt Krieger. I, uh, Peter, and I worked together most recently at Heroku. Um, I ran the Developer Relations team, and he uh, ran the Marketplace. And now we are uh, part of the team at Manifold. Uh, Manifold's a marketplace for developer services. So that's kind of who we are and what we do. Peter, anything to add?
3: Yeah, just beyond that, Matt um, runs growth and developer relations, and I run product here at Manifold uh, from San Francisco, while Matt is based in Halifax,
0: Nova Scotia. Awesome. I bet it's colder in Nova Scotia.
2: Depends on what time of year. I think uh <laughs> most Peter of year. most of the yeah. year. <laughs> since, since we started the company, uh Peter's been out for uh, like he's an honorary haligonian. That's that's what we call ourselves around here. And uh he he once got stuck in Portland for what was it like 3 or 4 days. Didn't get stuck
3: in Portland. It was uh New Jersey. But New Jersey, nice, nice try place. pretty close. Close. close.
0: <laughs> that sounds awesome and by awesome I mean awful. So, yeah, I was in the
3: Ramada Plaza, New Jersey for three days. It was good times. Wow. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, we brought you on to talk about cloud services and Manifold and things like that. So um, I think where we may want to start is just what Manifold is. Uh, I think people have a general idea about cloud services and what's offered. But man- talking about Manifold 1st we'll give them an idea of what you do and why you can offer us a perspective on this
2: yeah you know it's it's funny because one of the things that I think we've been surprised by is just how many different definitions there are for cloud services, depending on what type of role you have in an organization. Um, a lot of the people that we we talk to um, expect manifold to help them manage their own internal services, not services that are managed managed for them and operated for them. Um, and while that is uh, one of the things that manifold does, it isn't sort of our our primary purpose. There's an entire category of services that are designed to make building applications easier, services that you almost always have to reach for when you start building an application. If you think about a database or logging, monitoring, things that you're going to need in every application that you you both don't want to build yourself and you don't want to operate yourself. Um, these are the things that we kind of define as essential developer services. And these are the things that you'll find on the uh, Manifold Marketplace.
3: So examples being Redis as a service, Postgres as a service, um, Mailgun or LogDNA, logging and and uh, transactional email as a service. So basically anything that you would rely on a third party for, we would consider to be a, a cloud service.
2: And and there's there's really two things that I think make make uh, Manifold different from um, the places that you might currently shop for developer services. If you're on Amazon, then you might use the Amazon Marketplace. Of course, if you're at Heroku, you'd you'd use the Heroku Elements Marketplace. And that's really that we're the first independent marketplace for developer services. We are not a, we don't have a service on the marketplace ourselves um, and we don't have attached compute. So we're completely cloud agnostic and we provide tooling that makes using these services in combination with each other really easy on any cloud. So that's kind of, that's kind of the direction that we're coming from. It's, it's one that um, really wants to, really wants to break down the barriers that currently stand between developers that are, are building application on one of the mono clouds uh, AWS or Azure um GCP and and just bring them any service. You know, that that's really what we're trying to do.
1: So what do I do if I'm a developer who is actually building out a service and I want to get it on the marketplace or in you, the marketplace?
3: You email me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um to, so kind of to elaborate on that. So today and um, I don't know if if, if we mention this, we we launched actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, into, Yay,
0: congrats. <laughs> thank you. Um,
3: thank you. And we are, we just opened applications so we're still trickling people in. So right now we have about a dozen or so services um, and actually the call to action on the website is if you have a service that you would like to put on Manifold, email Peter. Um, over the next few months we'll be, you know, having more documentation and and more, I guess, polished process for joining. But in the, in the interim, emailing peter at manifold.co is the, your uh, best bet.
0: Nice. So so let's dig in then. I mean, what, what qualifies as a cloud service? I, I can see some things like, you know, Lambda or, you know, whatever you get off of Amazon AWS. But then, you know, you've also got other people that sort of offer, I don't know, different kinds of services that, you know, maybe like, Um, continuous integration or things that fall more under tools that, you know, the, the app's not going to use, but the developers are. So where do you draw the line here on the cloud service ecosystem and, and what people need to think about there?
3: I think the line, so that's a great question. And I think, um, when Matt talks about kind of the core essential services, um, we're talking about services that connect directly to an application. So whether it's a database, whether it's email, whether it's monitoring or logging, uh, we think of these services as uh, how far away from from the code it is. And um, to your point about CI, there, there's this whole other category outside of interacting directly with the application that involves deploying the application or um, the continuous integration or all of those things. Um, I think in the short term, the way that we see services are iterating from um, where we are today, so databases, um, email, and, and the things I was mentioning before, and expanding bit by bit as it integrates into, into our tooling workflow. And Matt, feel free to correct me here. But um, what we want to do is we want to slowly and steadily expand what it what it means to be a manifold service over time as it makes sense with our, our workflows and our use cases. And I think in the longer term, basically anything that you use that relies on a third-party um, company to provide a service for your application, whether it's you know something with your code or whether it's even like an Optimizely or some A-B testing functionality or anything like that, um, we anticipate moving to basically anything that you know your development workflow relies on—that's um, a third-party service.
2: Yeah, uh, I think the only thing I might add there is that where you might see manifold as as very different to the marketplaces that are on the existing clouds is that are are completely different. We we really this is a this is a grassroots product for grassroots developers, and we'd like to see services like the one that we've just um, announced will be added to the to the marketplace in the next couple of months. Um, Graph cool we'd like to see services like this that aren't are probably not going to be um part of amazon's marketplace in the near future but that are already built around technologies that developers are using day to day graphql
3: yeah, and actually to to add on to that in the in the longer term, we want to actually kind of be like a Steam for for developer services. So as we bring in you know, more of the heavy hitters and a lot of the grassroots folks, we're bringing in a lot of existing service providers. But eventually, we'd like for service providers to launch on Manifold the same way that like Goat Simulator starts on Steam, right? Because it's very niche and you're like, oh, well, who's going to want to play a game about goats? But the thing is, once you build a place for that supply and demand, we anticipate down the line, like maybe they'll just have one-off machine learning APIs to, I don't know, analyze photos, and maybe you'll pay five cents per API request. And there isn't uh, an outlet today for things like that. But we imagine that as we build um, an independent marketplace for people to build these types of services, it can become tenable to, to build a business around the more niche service or collection of niche services.
2: It's just, it's just way too hard today for a developer to turn a project into a business. Right. It's just it's it's overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly difficult. Like we see very successful open source projects try to try to to become businesses and find an audience in developers and developers are are tricky to reach. You know, and most of the time today when they go shopping for services, they're just doing it through Google. And so that kind of sucks from both sides of the ecosystem. It sucks if you're a developer that thinks you have a cool idea and wants to turn it into a business. And it sucks if you're a developer that wants to build something innovative and doesn't have the tools to do it. So I think there's I'm I'm really excited by the prospect of seeing to to your to your question, seeing things that honestly like we just we just never believed would be part of this ecosystem suddenly find a home on Manifold and, and find their way into into deployments on AWS or Azure or Zeit. Like, you know, Zeit is a, a really cool new way to deploy applications and and I think there's a lot of it's got a lot of um, uptake in the developer community Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have a marketplace of its own and that's kind of a barrier to entry so if you're using AWS you have all these services at your fingertips if you're using Heroku you have all these services at your fingertips and that means that if you want to build a brand new cloud um, it's it's difficult to get developers to adopt your platform and I, I don't think it should be I think we should be able to innovate everywhere and and do it without constraints
1: so, do you guys have some uh, some sort of like vetting process? I mean, if if you said like all I have to do is email you, I don't know, I, like that's great in some regards, but that could also maybe be a detriment in others. That's yeah. So
3: today, sure. yeah, that's a great question. So today, the criteria are we're, we're focused more on developer services that are catering to, um, I guess I would say, pre enterprise, so startups and SMB. Um, but provide really essential services. I think in the short to near term, we're gonna all like continue to focus on established companies that have been catering to startups and SMB for quite some time, um, and eventually we'll, we'll want to move into more enterprisey um, services. In terms of kind of the brand new services, the the innovative services, the ones that don't have established businesses, we're still trying to figure out how we can bring them in and expose them on the marketplace. Um, one of the ideas, and just kind of showing you guys a little behind the curtain, um, one of the ideas we have is this idea of manifold labs or manifold kind of beta grounds. And you have these services with the clear expectation that, hey, you know, you might be taking a flyer here, you you shouldn't put your entire enterprise infrastructure on this service, but you should also give them a chance and, and kind of like steam green light, or kind of like a Kickstarter for developer services. Um, that's sort of something that we've been playing around with uh, releasing over the next uh, few quarters.
2: And I think, Amy, to your question, you know, when you look at our, our current portfolio of services, what we, were, what we were really focused on was whether or not they offered a compelling developer experience. And we used all of those services. We went through every single one. We talked to the teams behind them. And we were, we, we were very thoughtful about the services that we started with. You know, we really wanted to make sure that they had the same priorities that we do. They care about developers, they care about the community, they care about the experience of using these services. And these aren't things necessarily that, um, I mean, if you go and read the, the RDS documentation, that they, they prioritize. So I think that's one side of it. And then the other side is, I, I don't think we necessarily know yet what is going to be really important to the developers that that use as, as um, Peter put it, these, these sort of um, green light or labs services. But I am excited by the prospect of developers being able to get their product in the hands of other developers much, much sooner, you know, with, with, with expectations managed, but they won't have to deal with things like billing or provisioning because these are all things that Manifold takes care of for them. So they can literally just focus on building their product and leave kind of the, the underlying mechanics to us.
0: So one thing that I'm seeing with this, and this is, I always go back and forth on a lot of these cloud services, because in, in some ways, it's nice to, you know, I, I can throw it at AWS, it'll kind of run everything, and I can use all their services, and I don't have to really manage anything unless I put it on an EC2 instance. Um, the flip side of that is, is that usually those services cost more than me installing MongoDB or something on my, on my server, Right. And so, you know, where where do you see people using cloud services and where do you see people kind of going on their own and saying, you know, what, I can stand up a server. I can, you know, periodically run security updates on it and I can run a, a bunch of these services on my own. I mean, Redis is another one, right? Really easy to set up um, for the common cases anyway. And, you know, so why would I why would I rent it from someone else?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's a couple of distinctions, I guess, we need to draw. One is between a library and a service, you know, a a package of code that somebody gives to you. And I I think we've done um, in the development community, uh, you know, things like NPM and the other uh, bundlers have have made, have made it really simple to take a package and manage it in an application. I think that that's like that problem, I feel is is maybe not solved, but we're on our way, especially not in the browser. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, to your point, there's kind of two categories of services. You've got services that are managed open source projects, you know, so Redis, I think, is a good example of that. Um, And I think in that case, really what they're doing is you are paying to have somebody professionally operate that service for you to optimize it for you. Um, You're paying for the convenience of having instantly available um, clusters or nodes, your you're paying so that you don't have to wear the page or if something goes wrong, they're going to get up in the middle of the night and fix it for you. You're paying to have um, somebody, you know, constantly deal with updating the versions and uh, dealing with any um, security issues that pop up and you're paying for anything, any value adds they off- add on top, like maybe they have a really elegant way of handling backups or migrations. So I think that's that's one that's one side of it. The other thing is you're supporting somebody in the community who's focused on a specific set of technologies. Like, um, again, we'll use Redis as an example. Um, Most of the companies that manage Redis professionally contribute back to the open source projects if they don't sponsor a member of the team directly. At Heroku, we were, um, we sponsored the Ruby community. Mats Matsumoto, the creator of Ruby um, is paid by Uh, Salesforce Heroku to maintain the language and keep it up to date. And that is obviously a service to anybody that uses Ruby. So I think there's like kind of lots of positive reasons to bet on the service community. Um, and, And I think one of the challenges is that it sometimes is easier to just spin up a version of it locally. It's easier and cheaper to do that. And I think that's something we have to change. You know, We need to solve this local development issue. And that's about more than just where that, um, where that service runs, whether it's on your computer or elsewhere, that's about um, how you get from cloning the code base to having all the services spin up that you need to run that code base and what deploying that looks like and how you deal with all the different environments that that application and associated services might live. So there's, there's a lot to unpack there.
3: And I, and I will say there's always gonna be a world in which just writing it yourself is easier. if you're you know, if you're following a tutorial, if you're making a little hobby project um, the the point at which where, your time becomes more valuable than the dollars you save is, is when, it, when it is, is the most logical jump to jump to cloud services. But there's a, there's a ton of use cases where just doing it yourself um, can make sense. And then once you hit the threshold of, well, do I want to spend time doing this, is when you should be really asking the question, maybe not. Maybe right. I need and to be we, just we, focusing on my code.
2: Both Peter and I have always encouraged um, providers to offer free, free tiers. For development, and I think that's something that we'll continue to do because, I mean, I think there's a there's a there's a stage there where you're really curious or interested in a new technology. Let's use GraphQL cool as an example again. Maybe you want to try um, GQL out, but you don't want to go and build your own GQL uh, server. And so you, you just focus on the front end of your application, and you connect to Graph Cool on the back end, and you get to learn about it kind of piecemeal through that. And maybe down the road you decide you want to run it all yourself. You don't have to start there. Um, and you don't have to pay to get into that ecosystem and start learning about it either.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of see two ends to this and, you know, you talked about them both. And one is, is, oh, I'm going to try this out. right. So I don't have to go stand up a server or set up a VM or, you know, uh, run it on my, uh, Mac or Linux machine locally. And then remember to shut it off cause I'm not using Redis all the time or, you know, but at the same time I can also see, for example, um, I know that, for example, um, performance tuning, something like Apache Lucene or Cassandra or something like that, where, you know, it's complicated because you have a cluster of servers and it can, it can replicate across clusters across the world in the case of Cassandra, or, you know, just some of the, the Lucene setup gets a little bit hairy. It's like, you know what, I'll just, yeah, I'll just pay somebody to manage that part of it for me. And then, you know, I can, I can do it from there. Or if I have a relatively small project, you know, maybe I, I grow to the point where it's, you know what, I'm having performance issues now, or I'm having these kinds of uh, particular problems with it. And rather than troubleshoot it, I move it to a cloud service. And so I, I can see, yeah, on both ends of the spectrum, one is I'm just going to pay to not have these problems anymore. And the other one is, is I'm, I'm going to try it out without having the overhead of setting it up.
2: Yeah, and and I'm certainly guilty of taking a project like, um, well, when we were we we're building Manifold, I wanted to try um, a lot of new technologies in the dashboard, and and we needed a lot of services to support those technologies, and you know, I think sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say like, are we is this the best use of our time? Should we be operating a Kafka stack or should we just be focusing on our product? You know, and are we focused on the Kafka stack because it's cool and interesting and exciting, or are we doing it because it's actually critical to our business and we should operate it?
0: So I think we've talked around it a little bit, but then, you know, so you don't have to set it up. You know, you have experts running it. So, you know, a lot of the maintenance and stuff is managed by somebody else, but um, I'm, I'm always worried too about like some of these third-party vendors. I mean, even some of the free ones like Firebase or something, right? Uh, I'm worried about like vendor lock-in and stuff like that. I mean, if I'm using it for a database or a logging system or something like that, they have all my data and sometimes they don't have a good way to get it out. So, I mean, you know, that that's another worry that I have with cloud services. Um, do, do you have an answer for that or is it just, you know what, consider it and if it's important to you, then... You know, don't do it. I don't know.
2: So I think there's two sides to this. There's actually one very subtle lock-in that happens without us perhaps even noticing it, like through a series of small compromises. Let's pretend you're building an application on AWS for a minute and you're using all of these new cool technologies like Docker. um, And and the promise of containerization is that it's going to give you the freedom to take your application anywhere and deploy it. And that's certainly true when you start. But then, uh, you know, you reach for a database, probably the first thing almost any developer would reach for. And then maybe you tag on some monitoring and some logging. And before you know it, to pick up and leave AWS, you would have to find all of those services elsewhere. Um, And the way that those services are integrated are, are specific to them being built on AWS. And I'm sure the same is true across almost any cloud that you look at that has an integrated marketplace. So I think that's that's honestly the first lock-in that I would worry about is the lock-in that's happening without almost anybody even realizing it. Um, and then I think we have to look at the type of, of, of services that we are we're using in our application. I think one of the things you brought up Firebase, and I think one of the things that I find so really exciting about GraphQL and, and GraphQL in particular is that it doesn't force you to adopt a, propi- a proprietary protocol. Um, GraphQL is a Protocol that you can spin up a server yourself and operate and, and Firebase isn't. And I think that's one of the challenges. If we look at um, Peter and I were uh, very close with the Parse team and we saw this with Parse. We saw um, a company be acquired by uh, Facebook and a great open source technology slowly get wound down and we did our best while we were at Heroku to make sure that you could run parse yourself and that you could bring all of your data with you to parse or sorry to parse running on Heroku and the parse team really helped with that so I think it's really just we have to be respectful of the community around the tools that we build and not every business and not 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 every project can become can become a business hopefully manifold can change that to some degree but um if we do have to wind projects down we have to give developers escape hatches and we have to be very clear about what those are um, before we need them you know so
3: and and i do see that's where the trends are going so to to dig in a little bit on the parse thing um parse had actually reached out to matt and i when we were at heroku to to figure out how to run parse um Outside of Parse, and that was that was a big focus for a couple of months, and it ended up that they, you know, that they sunset Parse uh, as it related to Facebook, and they open sourced the entire project. And I think from that, what we're hearing from a lot of these service providers is they want to make it. Just, just based on customer demand and customer request, they want to make it so that you can easily move between um, like services. And so, you know, the Redis are compatible with the Redises, the MongoDBs are compatible mm-hmm. with the MongoDBs. And even things like Graph Cool, which is you know a GraphQL backend as a service, want to make it so that if you need to run on your own, you can move to run on your own because customers fear another parse from happening. Um, and and this pattern has repeated. A number of times and so I, I think we are moving towards at least on the individual services side um, less lock-in and more portability
0: yeah that makes sense I have a whole bunch more questions but I want to make sure that Joe and Amy get to ask their questions too
4: um, nothing yet just listening
0: so one of the other you know things that you brought up is just you have these experts running these services and the the other end of this I guess is that um you know, this, essentially what you're doing is you're, you're spreading your operations cost across all these different companies. And this is one of the things I actually really like about the idea of cloud services, uh, just from the standpoint of, you know, I own and run a business. In this case, we produce podcasts, if you couldn't guess, folks. Um, And the, the most expensive uh, thing for the business i mean the, the largest expense by far is the people right and so the fact that i have a redis expert running my redis or i have a, you know a mongodb person expert running my mongodb or i have a graphql expert running my graphql server you know all of that stuff i mean it it, it in to that extent it makes a lot of sense right Um, it, it saves me time. I don't have to hire an operations person to manage servers or manage all of my stuff. And so, you know, I think that I find that pretty compelling just from the standpoint of, yeah, you know, I, I don't have to hire an ops person or I can hire an ops person and not have to have them work as many hours. And what that does is it frees up that money for me to go spend more on developers who are going to build more features for me.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's contributed to the to the blowout success of companies like Twilio and SendGrid, you know, who are who have just become huge developer services companies. But and, and I, I don't think there's any question that we're seeing a trend um, towards application being co- composed of smaller and smaller services, maybe even just functions that. Either we manage or somebody else manages, and I think one of the things that we have to face is that this 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 has lots of there's there's lots of upside to this approach. The downside is that it introduces all of this operational complexity and friction because even simple things, when you have a hundred different services and mm-hmm. half of those services are outsourced, um, and half of those services therefore have bills associated with them, even just trying to figure out like which credit card. Is associated with which of those services <laughs> is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. You know, it's like it's 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 death by a thousand cuts. And so that was when we when we when we started this. I was all about just building great a great workflow and a great integration into things like Kubernetes. And Peter was just like. Dude, you got to slow your horses like we have to solve all of those. We have to we have to stop developers dying by a thousand cuts first. Like, let's let's make the billing flow really simple. Let's make the provisioning flow really simple. Um, Let's make integration easy and fun. And I think that's, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like, so now you've got 50 of your services that are managed by somebody else, but you've also got 50 50 services that you're managing that depend on those other services. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to take all of these credentials that you need in all of these different um, applications and environments on the the machines of all of the developers um, on your team and manage them? Because those things, I mean, if I think if Equifax has uh, taught us anything, it's that um, the hits are going to keep on coming in terms of in terms of leaks, and we we really have to get serious about security. Which was why, if you've if uh, you follow Manifold at all, you'll maybe the project you're most familiar with at this point is Taurus, which was kind of our first foray into this problem, and it was just all about credentials. So we've really kind of like slowed down, and we're trying to tackle you know one problem at a time, but mm-hmm. meaningfully. Can you explain a little bit about Taurus? Sure. Um, So as I mentioned, like the, the, probably one of the biggest challenges when you're managing your own services is that you have all of these credentials um, that you need to share with people on your team and you need them to have uh, to be in the, the environments of the different applications. And if somebody leaves your team, well, they might take those credentials with them and you need to know about that and be able to change the credentials they had access to or rotate them. Um, maybe you wanna follow some security best practices and you want your, your credentials to adhere to some specification. Um, maybe you have applications that generate uh, credentials automatically and therefore you want to automatically refresh them and update them on a specific, uh, basis. Um, that these were all problems that Taurus was really designed to solve. Um, Taurus is a command line application and a service. Uh, the CLI is open source and it uses, um, elliptical curve cryptography to allow developers to securely share the credentials they use in their applications to make it like that's a long explanation i apologize but like to make it really really simple if you think about the, all the things that uh somebody needs to hand you when you join a team and clone a repo all of those credentials that you might need to use um i mean something like log dna or mailgun this is a place that you would store all of those things and the way that you would share them
0: yeah, if I recall, I haven't set anything up in Heroku for a little while, but you set up a lot of these credentials in, there in, in their, I forget what they call it, but it's just, you Con- know.
2: Config, config bars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, the, the difference with Taurus is really that we were focused on building something that was completely decoupled from any cloud and really focused on uh, the individual developer's experience using it. So yeah. you can say, for example, hey, this is a secret for, Let's use Mailgun, for example. This is my. This let's use a Postgres database. This is a Post Postgres database that we run. It's the connection URL, and I want to use this in production. I want a different one in staging, and in development, I want everybody on the team to use this, the the same staging one unless they have a local environment running. That's like pretty common, that's a pretty common use case. And you do that with almost every service you add to an application, but it's like, surprisingly there's there's not a lot of tooling around to do it. You just essentially use environment variables all over the place. Um, so that's what we dug into first. And we've actually taken a lot of the functionality from Taurus and it's inspired the approach that we take with the Manifold CLI. So, I mean, if you were doing this today, I'd suggest you just use the Manifold CLI and the dashboard to, to accomplish the same thing. But Taurus is very much a power tool. Um, if you're a DevOps, you're probably going to lean towards Taurus.
3: Yeah, and, and just to provide a little bit of historical context, we built Taurus um, last year, completely independent of, of the marketplace, um, to solve different problems. Um, and so they are independent products. Um, I, I, I think today, what we're really focused on with the Manifold CLI is how do we extend the Manifold marketplace? How do we extend that into workflows? And how do we... How do we figure out how to make it more convenient and um, lower the friction for using all of these services? Whereas Taurus, when we solved that problem last year, was more focused on the security and more focused, like as Matt said, as, as a power tool. So um, we I would definitely recommend checking out uh, the Manifold CLI first as it is a, a bit easier to get up and running.
0: I guess I guess that's the other question is, um, you know, and we, we've been talking for about an hour and that's usually the length of these shows, but, um, yeah. So let's say that I want to start using these cloud services and the, you know, the billing in one place and, you know, kind of the, the way that you allow me to manage cloud services is really appealing to me. And I don't have, um, sort of the cloud lock in with Azure or, uh, Google cloud services or, uh, AWS, How do I get this set up? I mean, do I just go to go to manifold.co and sign up or is it simpler than that or or how does that all work?
2: Yeah, if you're if you're um, somebody that likes to hang out in your command line, you could just brew install uh, manifold co and you can do it all from your command line or you can go to manifold.co and uh, and register from there.
0: I smiled when you said you can do it all from the command line. That makes me happy.
2: Yeah, it's it's surprisingly it's surprisingly important. And you know, when we're looking at how how providers build their services, you know, one of the things that we 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 look to is like the quality of their their developer experience when i that I mentioned before, but that really comes down to documentations and whether or not they consider their API and their command line a first class citizen. Um so
0: nice. So one other question, Uh, you mentioned uh, like different stages of development, you know, you have your development, maybe your local running thing, and then you've got your staging and then production. Um, How do you manage cloud services across that? Because, you know, I don't want production level emails going out when I'm playing around in development. So is, is there a way to managing those different things? And, you know, do I have to have three accounts on... Uh, mailgun or sendgrid or how, how how do you do that
2: so when you provision um just to answer your last question there when you provision mailgun through manifold you don't need to set up an account or anything we we do that for you but um in terms of just like man, managing it across account or managing it across uh, environments um we have a, a concept called a project i mean it's fairly straightforward mm-hmm. you just group your your resources into projects and then if you're actually looking to um Run an application, whether it's on your local machine and in a, or in a specific environment, then you're able to specify the project and therefore all of the resources and the credentials associated with those resources right from there gotcha and and honestly like we're not satisfied with the with the project as the only concept at the moment. I think we will introduce things like environments um, but we want to be really careful with that because um we want the we want the tool to be very approachable. We want it to be the easiest way to jump on jump in and use any of these services, and we don't want to start introducing concepts that are really like uh power tools that we already um experimented with in Taurus just yet, but that's certainly coming down the road.
0: Awesome. All right, anything else that we should be asking Joe Amy, do you guys have more questions? I'll take a long pause as a nope
4: nope, sorry, couldn't find the mute button there for a second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Uh, Joe, do you have some picks for us?
4: Yes, I do. In fact, I have tons of picks. Just as I <laughs> Another
0: dad I don't joke. I want to pick huh? the stuff
4: I picked yesterday. Oh. Uh, we just recorded another. Uh, well, it wasn't this show though. Uh, it was Angular.
0: Yeah, that was yesterday. Our, but we recorded this show the day before that, so.
4: Right. So, okay. So I got one pick and it's a kind of almost semi-technical blog. It was written by a technical guy. And what it is, is it, the title is uh, What You Can't Say. And the the author is somebody actually fairly well known. Um, and the, the whole blog point of the blog, it's Paul Graham. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the whole point of the blog is the fact that when you can't, when there are things that you can't say, and there are reasons, he, talk, he has this idea of basically moral fashion, right? The fashion is a thing that is in or is out, and there isn't necessarily reasons for the fact that certain fashion is in and certain fashion is out. It's just that their fashion is in and out. And so he has that there's concepts like moral fashion, and that moral fashion produces this result of things that you cannot talk about. Now, there's actual morality, and then, which is like functionality. Um, in clothing, and then there's just moral fashion. And so he has this really well thought out article. It's just an interesting read that basically talks about the fact that, hey, you know, just because a lot of people don't like something uh, doesn't mean that it is necessarily wrong. And he talks about things like today, we would look at stuff that they considered to be wrong a long time ago and think, oh my gosh, those things are, it's silly uh, to think that those are not wrong. But a long time ago, people didn't necessarily think those are wrong. So, what is it that today we will think is okay that in the future people will be like, oh my gosh, can you believe that they did that sort of stuff? (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty interesting, you know, like in the future, what are people going to be like? Oh, well, they may say a lot of things about me, but at least I didn't, you know, I don't know, use Twitter, (laughs) whatever that is. So, that's way. Yeah, it's a pretty good article. Uh, Well done, well thought out. No matter whether you happen to be a more leftist or right person you'll still find it uh, an interesting read so i highly recommend that one and again it's called what you can't say by paul graham
0: nice and paul graham's the y combinator guy right yes yes all right amy do you have some picks for us
1: yep and joe's article sounds pretty good too actually i'm gonna check it out uh so for me we had ryan mcdermott on an episode um in the spring about um, like clean code style. And he has a repo um, that's code review tips. So I'm going to put a link for that repository in the show notes because uh, I can't say enough good things about this stuff. And that is it for me.
0: All right. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks myself. Um, So I've been getting back into programming. You know, I, I have this hobby called podcasting that took over my life um and anyway uh to make a very long story very short um essentially i've been trying to solve these problems by through like emailing people and doing a whole bunch of manual processes kind of like what we talked about not doing with your operations today on this show and uh i realized that uh, well and by realized i mean i went to lunch yesterday with uh eric berry from ruby rogue's podcast and he looked at me and he said dude he said you're trying to do all these things, and you're dropping all these balls. You're a coder. Code a solution. <laughs> and I, I thought about it, and I was like, Yeah, I should code a solution. So I'm writing my own code, um, and I haven't done that in a while. Anyway, a few things that I'm using that I'm really liking. Uh, one of them is GitLab. So if you're uh, if you're into Git, and um, you know you don't want to pay for private repos on GitHub, uh, GitLab, you can just host it on your own server. I have it up on a DigitalOcean instance. And between like the, the two or three organizations that I was paying for private repos on and, um, you know, some of the other things that I was paying for, it was way cheaper to just run it on my own server. So, uh, GitLab is nice. Um, and it has a lot of the features from GitHub. So, you know, why not? The other thing that, uh, I'm using, I was looking for a good admin layout and he recommended to me that, uh, um oh and I, I forgot that we actually had Eric on the show so you can go listen to his episode about code sponsor. Um but anyway, um so he's using an admin layout called admin LTE and it's based on bootstrap and I like a lot of things about bootstrap and I really don't like a lot of things about bootstrap so um Anyway, you can take that with a grain of salt, but it's a really nice looking admin and it made it really easy to kind of get things together and get them looking nice so that I can massage them to the place that they need to be. So um, anyway, admin LTE is another pick. Uh, Matt, do you have some picks for us?
2: Absolutely. Uh, just on GitLab, I'm not sure if you saw, but they they wrote a, a great piece on their blog about the their, their vision for DevOps. I think it's a really interesting read and if you like GitLab, you should totally check it out. We're big fans of theirs too
0: yeah they have kind of a philosophy that they live by and it's it's kind of interesting to go read about as well
2: so has anybody picked Star trek yet? I feel like I've got to pick uh Star trek maybe it's predictable but um I'm on episode three now of the new of the new uh season and i'm i'm, I'm absolutely loving it so if you haven't if you haven't heard that star trek is back um and with it all of my fondest memories then uh then go check it out
0: <laughs> that's star trek <laughs> discovery i think is what they called it right
2: yeah, yeah, um, no, it's 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 fun, uh, and a uh, couple of JS picks. Um, I'm not sure somebody may have already picked these in the past, but uh, Puppeteer popped up under um, Google Chrome on GitHub, and if you've ever tried to do any work with the uh, Chrome, um, the headless Chrome uh, Node API this is like just an invaluable tool and I, I was so I was so excited when when the headless Chrome API popped up and I was planning to solve all of these problems um, so take for example you you make a change on a page and you want a screenshot before and after and you want to understand whether or not you, you accidentally broke something you didn't mean to um, this is kind of a tool that's designed for that and and puppets here is a is a, an abstraction over that API that just makes it a lot um, easier to work with and then and then just kind of a, a fun pick um uh Cynosaurus, uh forward slash is on GitHub. He has this new comparison checker. So you can it, I just really like the signature of the API. It's like is string. Um so if you're not using something like Lodash or you you feel like Lodash is too heavy and all you want is something you can do comparisons with, then you should then you should check that out.
0: Awesome. How about you, Peter? Do you have some picks for us? Uh, unfortunately, I do
3: not have any picks. I was out sick yesterday, so I was hoping to prepare a little bit more, but uh, I'm going
0: to have to pass this week. Sorry. It's all good. Um, Maybe I'll just see if I can prompt you into a pick or two. <laughs> Is there a TV show that you're really into these days? Or
2: a book? Oh, he's he's playing this. He's playing this. I went and visited him in San Francisco, and we spent like an entire Saturday playing uh, Dota. And what was the other game that you're you're currently obsessed with, Peter?
3: I'm not obsessed with it, but uh, <laughs> what was it called? Hold on.
2: Player, <laughs> player can stop anytime I want. I just don't want to.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, so Matt and I actually, when he was in town, we hold up in in our uh, in our office for an entire like twelve hours playing. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. That's it's it. It's essentially, it. yeah. Uh, it's like the Hunger Games, um, with guns, and you just parachute in, and it's a hundred people, and it's the last person standing. It's oh wow, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Pro,
2: pro tip: Go to the school.
3: Yeah, um, and then on top of that, I, actually now I, now that you got the juices flowing, Chuck, I got I got a couple. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> There's this book called Sourdough. So, um. This author, Robin Sloan, wrote this book called, I think it was called Dr. Penumbra's magical bookstore or something. And it's it was based in San Francisco, had a little bit of like, I don't know, for for those of you that are in tech and, and or live in San Francisco, it has a it it kind of captures that culture. Um, or Robin's really good at capturing that culture. And sourdough is a book about a um <laughs> the way I'm gonna describe this is gonna be really interesting. It's about a sourdough starter. That is, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It has, it has intelligence. Um, how do you how do you describe something that, like an object that has intelligence? Like it's sen- it sentient. sentient? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, anim- <laughs> it's a sentient sourdough starter, and uh, um, and it's about a software engineer at a robotics company that discovers this sentient sourdough starter and it's based in San Francisco and it's and it's really interesting it captures a lot of kind of the culture around working at tech companies but also has this sort of like sci-fi kind of weird whims- whimsically sci-fi um aspect to it it's called sourdough a novel by Robin Sloan um and I started that it's really good um but you should also check out uh, Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore um as well if you're if you're into you know the whole reading thing. <laughs> um, and then also this one's kind of a, a self plug. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that's okay. Feel free to edit it out if it's not. But we we, we worked with this f- um, firm and yet, and we came up with this like sci-fi dystopian story for Manifold on story.manifold.co. Um, I promise it's not just a, it's not really like just a commercial. It's actually just a story. Um, and it's about this this woman who's caught in this dystopian I guess like compound, Matt, would you call it a compound?
0: Did no, Matt he leave? just dropped
3: off. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to hear anymore. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we worked with them and it's, and it's got illustrations and audio voiceovers and it's, and it's really just a sci-fi story. I guess you could call it like a multimedia experience, but um, that's, you know, that's something that we had a lot of fun making as well. So those would be my three picks.
0: Great. And if people want to check up on what you guys are working on now or follow you, either of you on Twitter, or GitHub or something like that, uh, where do they go?
3: Um, definitely check out for anything that we're working on now. It's a uh, blog.manifold.co or you can follow us on Twitter at Manifold Co. Um, or if you want to follow Matt or I, I am ETC as in etc. ETC Peter. And Matt is Matt underscore Krieger.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for coming. Uh, we'll just kind of encourage everybody to go check out uh, manifold.co. And uh, we'll catch you all next week.
2: Thanks so much for
3: having us, folks. Yeah, thank you guys so
0: much.
2: Bye. Bandwidth for this
0: segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.